As the war in Ukraine drags on, we're seeing more and more headlines about imminent, possibly already underway, spring offensives from both Moscow and Kiev. There are also daily rumors in Russia about a looming second round of Putin's so-called partial mobilization. The vibe at the moment I'm recording these words seems to be sort of a waiting game for the next phase of wide-scale major combat. But Russia's draft never really stopped, despite the Kremlin's announcement that the military reached its mobilization goal and halted the drive. Recruitment centers across the country are still mailing out summonses left and right. There are reports nationwide about various enterprises and employers pressuring workers, students, and even random strangers to join or contribute somehow to the recruitment effort. One anecdotal example, to collect their diplomas, Moscow Aviation Institute graduates are reportedly being forced to sign an army summons. And when they report as required, the draft offices lean hard, trying to sell them on contract service. A recent investigative report by journalists at MediaZona found that military courts have heard more than 500 felony cases in the last year related to offenses like going absent without leave, going AWOL, refusing to obey orders, striking a commanding officer, and desertion. These cases are becoming more and more common, and the courts are trying to hide the statistics from the public on the explicit grounds that the information poses a national security threat. Because it's embarrassing, and because it suggests serious problems with morale and discipline inside Russia's armed forces. And that's what we're going to talk about on today's episode of the podcast. Welcome to The Naked Pravda. Howdy, folks. Welcome back to The Naked Pravda. I'm your host, Kevin Rothrock, the managing editor of Medusa's English Language Edition. On this week's show, I'm taking a close look at a recent investigative report from journalists at the independent Russian news outlet MediaZona, who dug through available court records, interviewed attorneys, and scrubbed public announcements to track a growing trend in Russia's military. More and more soldiers are committing felony offenses in what appears to indicate the Russian military's growing problem with a lack of discipline and morale. Before getting to today's show, I'll take a few seconds to remind listeners that support from Medusa's international audience is more important today than ever, now that the Russian authorities have designated Medusa as an undesirable organization, outlawing our reporting on the grounds that it poses a threat to the foundations of the Russian Federation's constitutional order and national security. In other words, everything we do now, our investigative reports, our newsletters, our posts on social media, even our podcasts, it's all a crime now inside of Russia. Medusa will continue to report events to our readers, millions of whom are still in Russia. We will not submit to this attempted censorship. Now more than ever, your contributions sustain our work, and we need your help also in just putting out the word about our crowdfunding campaign. Okay, let's get back to this week's show. My guest today is David Frankel, a reporter and data team journalist at MediaZona. The article in question here was written by journalist Anna Pavlova, and David, who helped with the data collection for this story, walked me through MediaZona's biggest findings. Our conversation started with my realization that this investigation reveals a major reason why Vladimir Putin never formally rescinded his mobilization executive order, even though the Kremlin insists that Russia's draft has stopped. First question I had, this is actually like not about the story per se, but like one of the things that comes up in the article is that these punishments that have all been kind of like made worse since like last September, basically, since like mobilization, I think it is. One thing that dawned on me is like, is this, do you think this is one of the reasons that the Kremlin and President Putin specifically are reluctant to formally withdraw the 
mobilization order? Because it seems like a lot of what, what I've heard is like, oh, they don't do it because they want to do another round of mobilization or because like, I don't know why, because they, 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 you know, they're going to they're going to mobilize another half a million people tomorrow or in a month. But one of the things that emerges from this story is that in the context of these these various, you know, going absent without leave or desertion or, you know, striking your commanding officer or something like this, if it happens during a period of mobilization, then there's like a whole different legal regime that's active. And so it seems like, oh, this is like when I read that, I was like, oh, this is why this is a big reason why Putin wouldn't rescind his executive order is because like there's like all these disciplinary measures in place while that's just happening. I would say that's absolutely correct. Exactly. It's pretty useful in all terms, like not only this is just one example why it's useful for Kremlin, because of course you can use all kinds of new measures that are kind of wartime measures, but we do not officially call it a wartime, but still we want to use those measures. So how do we imply them? Oh, we can call it like a mobilization time and we have special measures for mobilization. So yeah, that's pretty useful, but I would say it's just one example. For another example is that theoretically they can force private entities like companies or private entrepreneurs to support some military requirements, mm. like use your business, your garage to, re to repair tanks, for example. They can enforce you to do this during mobilization time, but it's not something that you could enforce usually in a routine way. And that's another example, I think, what is possible. It's not like they use it right now, but I think that's possible. And another thing, which is also, I think, important is that I wouldn't say we ever confirmed that mobilization stopped. So basically, this crawling mobilization, like a very slowly going on mobilization, which you do not see, which is not very exposed, but I would say that it continues. We see minor reports from regions that people are still mobilized. For example, we have a project that counts bodies, traffic casualties, and we also try to track the time when the person was mobilized, with the dead person, when was he initially mobilized. And some of those people who die right now in Ukraine, Russians, they were mobilized not very long time ago, like months ago, a couple of months ago. So after the, the main wave of mobilization. Right. So that's another reason because like, why would I officially stop mobilization if I can silently, slowly uh, mobilize a few people I need? Another reason is what we heard is that some draft officers, employees, they explain some of their actions by the fact that mobilization was not officially stopped. Right. Like, I think one of our colleagues called draft office and asked like, hey, we see, it was, I think, a couple of weeks ago in, in the news that we see a lot of new draft requests. How would you, how would you call them? Sum uh, summons, yeah. Yeah, summons. You would issue some summons to people in your region. Why would you do that? Because like you mobilize people yeah. and the answer is 
why, why wouldn't we? There was no... It never stopped. It was yeah. no recall of the... Yeah, yeah. Like, why wouldn't we? It's, it's right. still ongoing. So, yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and they say, like, and people ask, but hey, uh, Mr. Putin told that, like, we are not going to mobilize anybody. And the answer is, well, uh, I don't know what Putin said, but he right. didn't recall his, his, his yeah. decree, so why wouldn't we? So there are a lot of reasons why they don't do that. Of course, that's really convenient for them, but I think you are absolutely correct. That's one of the reasons why. Mm -hmm. Okay. So this, this, uh, this recent Media Zona article goes into, it, it basically it summarizes these garrison military court cases most of them have to do with soldiers going AWOL, absent without leave. But then there's also some desertion cases. There are some striking superior officer cases. There's the, almost a dozen of different types of them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But the biggest one is going AWOL. Um, the biggest one AWOL, yes. Correct. Yeah. And is there is it clear to you why this is the most common offense? Is it the fact that are the courts just choosing to prosecute soldiers according to that criminal statute, or is that actually the nature, does that best describe the nature of soldiers abandoning their posts? Are the courts looking at people running away from the front and saying, well, we're going to call that going AWOL so that we have a chance to keep that person in the armed forces because then they can get probation and we can keep them fighting? Or are those people actually just kind of leaving their post to go see their girlfriend and they're not really intending to leave the army, they're just kind of young kids who aren't thinking it through? Like, What's the nature of the crimes as they're as they're classified versus like what we actually know about how people are behaving? So first of all, there are I think three different crimes in the Russian law currently because some of them are new ones. So one is just a wall, which is the most common one. That's when you basically leave your military base because you yes because you went to see your girlfriend. Another one is deserting. Mm -hmm. That's when you usually when you left not your military base, but the front lines. And not only that, but you also made some additional actions, like you purchased tickets abroad, or you made some documents to, I don't know, to fake documents to, I don't know, hide yourself. So that's a more... A more serious crime. Yeah. And then there is also, how would I say it, a refuse to follow the, the order. Right, right, right. right, right. Uh, so that's similar because that's when you say, I don't want to go to the front lines, for example. Okay, I'm not leaving the military base, but when you ask me to go to the front lines, I refuse. So it's close because like you're basically avoid, trying to avoid the front lines. but it's, uh, you're not it's, technically uh, walking away. Yes, you're not technically yeah. walking away. So AWOL is the lightest because like you're not doing anything really serious. Then it's refusal of the order because like you haven't really went away. You have just refused. And the serious crime is uh, deserting. And then there is the second category. That's all other cases when you are kind of like attacked your officer, for example, because that's not when you try to avoid something but when you really did some action, actually, there are some additional new laws like faking an illness, I think, uh, but they are really anecdotal. So I wouldn't yeah, yeah. really count them. So why most of the cases are evolved? The main reason is because, I wouldn't say that's because courts consider people evolved, but that's because 
the prosecutors, they have an issue to prove in the Russian court that the person prepared some additional actions to be considered a deserter. Like, as I gave an example, like you have to buy tickets, for example. So if you don't have tickets, it's very hard for both prosecutors and the judge to say, okay, I see those actions that formally follow another, another law. And that's how usually Russian law works. It's on one hand, very, mm, very strict, repressive and stuff, but it's very formal. Yeah. Even, even repressions are formal. They follow uh, the letter of the, of the law and that's, that's why they, even if they understand that the person was a deserter, in many cases, they still categorize those people as, okay, you're just an AWOL because why would we bother ourselves proving some serious matter? So we, we don't want to like spend time, additional paperwork. It's complicated. It, it, and for them, it, it really, I think, doesn't matter. They don't care if you, you receive a different sentence because of the different uh, article of law. I don't, uh, they don't care. Why, why would we? Right. We sentenced you. We made an example for your, for your colleagues. So that, that's enough. That's enough. We don't care. The, the important difference is that do you receive the real punishment? Like, do you go to a penalty colony or you are uh, on probation? That's, that's an important difference. And for example, if you're AWOL, you receive usually probation because that's the lightest case. You, you didn't really commit anything serious. So that's, that's fine. You, you would receive maybe a year or two years of probation and it's possible that you may be sent back to the front lines because technically a probation sentence is not prohibiting you from service. On the other hand, if you refuse the order at least, that's a more serious crime. So that will give you what, two or three years of jail, usually a penalty colony, which is the lightest in Russian prosecution system. And in that case, you do not go to the, to the front lines because the real sentence prohibits you from serving. Mm -hmm. And if you are deserting, that's a serious crime. Uh, it's much more right. years in jail. So that's, that's not that good. <laughs> so if you're, if you're a Russian soldier and your goal is not to go to the front, then your best option is to report for duty, but then refuse to deploy to the front lines. And you will, you'll then be accepting essentially the risk of prison, but you It'll be light prison, and it won't be, it won't be necessarily the hardest penitentiary, and it, you won't get probation, so they can't just send you back. So, in terms of like cost-benefit analysis, that's probably the like the best play that they have available, I guess. Yeah, that's the most rational way. At uh -huh. least if you are already <laughs> if you are already mobilized. If you, yeah. So at the first place, you should avoid being mobilized. Right. But if you're already <laughs> mobilized, you should avoid being sent to the front lines because yeah. before you are sent, the chances that you can refuse the order and get those two, three years in a light type of jail yeah. are the, the best. But as soon as you were sent to the front lines, your chances to get the deserter, the deserter article, yeah. they are much higher so that's not recommended i would say right 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 you would you would still avoid the front lines at some point but you would receive a sentence of five or more years or maybe 10 years right i don't recall but you could also face the the consequences of for example being sent like to i, I don't know how to say it even to the cellar 
because they have this unofficial presence right. uh, on the front lines, in the cellar, so underground, and they will keep you there and, and they will try to force you to, to go back to the front lines. So that's the worst case scenario. So yes, try to, try to refuse the order as soon as possible. Uh-huh, uh-huh, okay. When I first saw this article, and I basically glanced at it and saw like, okay, all these like men are going AWOL. My, I mean, I didn't necessarily believe it at first, but like the inc- the implication seemed to me to be, oh, like this is a major problem for military discipline in Russia. Are men starting to say, I don't want to fight. I'm just going to leave, like screw this. And like, that would be, you know, the collapse of like Russia's military effort or something. But then as I read the article, it seemed like, okay, actually, if you, bring in a, you know, 300,000 young guys into anything, a lot of them are going to like, they're just going to be like, ah, screw this. Like, they're not going to think through the consequences. It's, so it's not like they're objecting to the war so much as like, oh, you know, my, my mom needs me or wow, I really want to go home and get laid one last time or something like that. It's like, it's, it's not necessarily like a, a moral protest. It's more of a kind of like everyday, like guys just like not following orders. Do you get an impression as to like whether MediaZona's findings say something about morale in the Russian armed forces and it's like declining and men don't want to fight because they're they're opposed to the war, they're opposed to dying in the war, or is this just kind of a more everyday kind of discipline problem? At least what we know is the trend. And we know that for the last like two years, a wall was still probably the most common criminal charge against a military person because like Drafties, they go we will all the time. Yes, because the morale is low, because they're bored, because they want to meet their girlfriends, get laid and stuff. So what we see is roughly 50 cases per month in the usual, in your usual month, the usual year. And for example, just this March, and it's like just two weeks of March, we received almost 200 cases. And those are the cases which were filed by the courts. And we don't know how many more are there, which still are not filed by the courts, which are hidden because some courts hide military cases right now. So we see that this number grew drastically. And just in the last two months, for example, because even in the December, it was still just hundreds of cases, still much more than we had before the war started. but not catastrophic situation. Then it went up to 150 cases in February and much more than that just in the first two weeks of March. So it, it grows very quickly. I don't know what to say about like had the morale declined because we it's very hard to understand what is happening inside. But what we see from data is that people are running a lot, much more. It, 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 it never happened at this scale. And the problem is that courts don't want to share the details with us. Yeah, yeah, I want to ask you about this, yeah. And we only know some some details. We we spent a lot of time just like calling people. We we, we found um, the detail that this case existed and we tried to call lawyers, we tried to call, to call courts and ask, hey guys, what happened in that case? What is the right. sentence? What happened? And in some because cases, you're, you're able to see the case usually, but not the, the verdict. Exactly, is that what exactly. it is? We yeah. see that there is a, there's a web page on the court's website saying we have a case number, number, the article of the law, this one, 
and maybe the surname of the prosecuted person. And that's it. And so we know that there is a case and that we know that it's a wall because we know the number of the uh, article, but we don't know like the details. So yeah, we tried to find as much details as possible and yeah, it, it was a journey <laughs> sometimes. But the problem is that in some cases where we found the details, people were actually trying to avoid sending to the front lines. We know that they tr tried to avoid the war because they were afraid, because they didn't want to die, because they thought that they were stupid and stuff and stuff. Or, or they, for example, they were asked like, had you refused the order to go to the front lines? And they said, no, 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 we, we haven't. We would go to the front lines, but we decided to go to get late to see our girlfriend to, I don't know. Right. Actually, we understand from their, what, what, from what they say that they wanted to avoid the war. So it's very hard to like difference these two cases when, when person is a common able, like from the old times, from before war times, or that's uh, actually a person who is trying to avoid, avoid war. Right, right. So it's hard to say, but we also know that like there are a lot of people who are not technically AWOLs, who are not prosecuted for being AWOLs, for people prosecuted for being deserters, people who are prosecuted for other articles of law, and those numbers are also raising. So we know that a lot of people are, I would say, I don't know, brave enough or radical enough to attack their officers, for example, because of some issues. Sometimes it happens uh, not because they want to avoid being sent to the front lines, but because they had some issue, because they had low morale, because they had lack of weapons, for example. A lot of people attack their officers because like right. officers don't give them weapons or food or stuff. So from those articles, I would say it's much more clear that the morale is really low. But uh, we, we see from the data that all, all, the, all, all numbers are raising. And is it rising with both? contract soldiers and draftees, or is it is this becoming more of an issue with one of those groups? Because one of the other things that struck me about the article, we know that the Russian military has been flooded with all these these draftees, these mobilized soldiers, Mobiki or whatever, right? But also, when you read about the contract soldiers, it's like, oh my God, these guys are being kept on. Like They signed on for like a term of service, and then the mobilization orders came down, and they can't get out. They're like being sent back to the front on repeated tours. And it's like, when I read about those guys, it's like, wow, if I were one of those guys who has all this military training and is like, you know, a seasoned veteran of multiple tours in Ukraine and probably other places, it's like, that, those guys sound scary because they're really pissed. The problem is that it's very hard to, to say because... Yeah, because all you, see, you get like their surname or maybe not at all. So you don't know who you're dealing with. Yes, yes, exactly. And yeah. the problem is that while the law says technically that they are prosecuted for committing this crime during mobilization. It doesn't care if the person is actually a mobic or a professional military because mobilization is announced. So every crime is committed during mobilization. So it doesn't right. care. And right. we saw, we know some cases when a person exactly did what you described, like the person was a volunteer or professional military, they served and then they came back and they refused to go back to the front lines. And they were prosecuted, for example, for refusing to follow the order to go back and serve once again. There is a, this, uh, this funny case of a guy who served and then he came back and he dis uh, during his uh, vacation, 
and he decided to visit the families or graves of his uh, fellow soldiers. And they were in Gratia, and she realized that she's a Buddhist. Yes, he realized that he's a Buddhist and he's now a pacifist and he's not going to come back. And she's trying to prove to the Russian government that he is not supposed to be sent back to war because he's a pacifist, like for religion re reasons. And I think, I think there would be a sentence soon. He's prosecuted for not following the order, I think. Do you have any sense of whether that kind of legal defense will help him very much? It's like it has better grounds than just saying, oh, I was, I'm too scared, because that's like not like a deep conviction. But if you say, oh, I have a religious foundation to this like, you know, point of pacifism. And also, by the way, I, I already did a tour of duty. You know, I'm not like a wimp. You know, like it seems like his case would be strong insofar as it could be. It's sad. Russian uh, ju judicial system is very formal in its, even right. while it's repress repressive. So uh, I would say that, yes, one thing is to like, hey, I don't want to follow your laws. And another thing is like, hey, I'm this religious guy. I don't want to carry weapons. I don't want to go to the front lines. But I can serve like in the military base in some other way. And I think right. there are examples of people at least, I think there is at least one example, I think, of a guy from St. Petersburg who proved that while he is mobilized and he's not refusing, like, to follow orders and be mobilized, he's asking to be, like, used in a different manner, not with a weapon. And I think in the end, if I'm not mistaken, I think in the end, his request was approved mm -hmm. and he's now serving as a mobilized guy somewhere in, in the... I don't know, in the offices. So it's possible. And it's, it's, I think, yes, it's a better, a better ground for, for this guy. But I wouldn't be really like surprised if his sentence, maybe, maybe he would receive less years than other people, but still that's, that wouldn't surprise me. One last question I had has to do with these, uh, preventative talks that judges sometimes have with like groups of soldiers. And it's seems like it's a clear an attempt to scare other soldiers away from either going AWOL or desertion or punching their officers or whatever. But like, how exactly does this work? Like, is it, do they just invite a judge in and he's, he goes on stage and talks for 30 minutes or do they have a, do they have trials in front of other soldiers or like, what exactly, what are these measures they're taking to scare, to scare people? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They they ask judge to come to the military base and perform the trial in front of the auditoria. And they but, actually do the trial in front of people? Like that's the real yes, trial? Yes, not, yes. Like right. in the like a like a concert. So they are on stage. Very it's very literally a show trial. It's like a it's so like it's, it's a it's <laughs> and the funny part is that it's a show trial inside military but they don't want to expose it to public. So, right. so they gather people to sit there in like in the theater to watch the show. And then when they, we call them and ask, hey, you had this trial, what is the result? What is the sentence? They tell us, oh, that's a secret. Sorry. Like we don't want, as, as one, we, when we called one of the judges, he told us that he decided to close the case from public. He classified it. and. Because he don't want some people from Pindosia 
to know the sentence and know that how terrible things and morale is in the Russian army. So that's why he did that. So which is like basically a... saying like we don't want the fucking Americans to see. Yes, exactly, exactly. But yet they gather soldiers. They make those show trials inside military. And another thing is that they not only do that as trials, but for example, when they arrest soldiers, they do the same thing. They gather all the soldiers from the base and in front of any, everybody, they announce that, hey, private Ivan Ivanov, come here, please. You are officially arrested for, for going a wall. And this is shot on video. And yeah. lawyers uh, sent us those videos. And in front of everybody, military police comes and they... They drag them in the van. Yes, they drag, yeah, they attack, yeah. they, hey, you don't, want, you don't want to be sentenced, you don't want to be attacked, you don't want to be dragged in front of everybody. And then, as we understand, after those trials, after the, those show trials, they keep the soldiers uh, at the same place. And the judge, yes, they, they read the speech to other soldiers, like, that guy was a very terrible guy, and uh, I, the judge, I'm condemning you for doing the same thing think twice about that and so on, which is hilarious. And what's confusing for people abroad, judges in Russia, in many cases, act instead of prosecutors. Even in many criminal cases, there is no prosecutor and the judge is the person who like reads your, what are you accused of, for example, and so on. Do you mean, do you mean figuratively or they literally, there's no prosecutor? It depends on the type of the law. Some types of Russian law allows to be no prosecutor at all. So the is judge that just, is the is only, that only in military courts or is that just no, no, no. That's, that's usually, that's usually, I, I don't know the details of the military courts. They are very specific, but in usual cases, like for example, that's usually like a minor misdemeanors. For example, if you are a person right. who like participated in a protest, yeah. then there would be in many cases, no prosecutor at all. And the judge would, the judge would, would act as a prosecutor. And I know that in like in hundreds of thousands of cases, people try to, to appeal for this exact reason in the European court that we, mm. were, we were unjustly tried. Yeah. Yes. Be, because without a prosecutor, there was no prosecutor. And in this case with those military guys, not only the judge is like the part of prosecution, but they also read those speeches right. to other soldiers like, hey, you, you, you behave terribly. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This has been The Naked Pravda, a podcast from Medusa in English. Remember that undesirable status back in Russia means our entire news outlet now relies on readers and listeners around the world to support our work. Please visit our website for information about how to become a contributor with one-time or recurring pledges. Thanks again. Until next week.